welcome to the Nail Your Nutrition podcast, a podcast focused on nutrition, fueling, intuitive eating, and training for endurance activity. Each week, we put out evidence-based information to help you learn to fuel adequately to ace your training and achieve PRs. You'll hear interviews with sports nutrition experts, new and seasoned athletes, and athletes looking to balance ambitions of fitness and training with family and professional goals. I'm Sarah Schlichter, a sports dietitian and mom to two girls. I'm a huge believer in merging the principles of sports nutrition and intuitive eating. Life's too short to not enjoy your food. You can learn more about my work at bucketlisttummy.com. And I'm Marita, a sports dietitian and mom to two boys in San Antonio, Texas. I work with endurance athletes at my private practice, Eat to Compete. My goal is to help runners and triathletes learn to fuel their training with intuitive eating, heal disordered eating, and become a happier and more resilient athlete. We are two sports dietitians and moms here to break down the nutrition science to make training more fun and approachable for you. Whether you're a novice athlete, a weekend warrior, a mom trying to fit in a consistent exercise schedule, or a top finisher at big races, we want to help you understand the importance of fueling well. We're so glad you're here and would appreciate you sharing this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, like your favorite running buddy or a coworker who trains too. All right, let's dive into today's episode. This episode is brought to you by our Nail Your Nutrition self-paced fueling course. Whether you're a new or seasoned athlete, the Nail Your Nutrition course offers all of the information needed to prepare you, fuel you, and help you recover from endurance activity. The Nail Your Nutrition course has modules on macronutrient distribution, hydration and electrolytes, endurance needs for female athletes, vegans and vegetarians, nutrients of concern, supplements, tips for triathletes and endurance, ultra endurance runners, tips for relative energy deficiency, and more. We also include case studies to tie everything together, as well as videos and downloadable handouts. Plus, you have lifetime access to the course. That's right, you have access forever with updated scientific sports nutrition guidelines, practical tips for how to implement them, and you also have access to a private community where you can collaborate with other course members. To join the course and get started today, head to nailyournutrition.podia.com. That's nailyournutrition.podia.com or head to the link in the show notes. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey friends, Marita here. Solo episode today, and today I'm going to talk to you about nine ways to have your best long run. Right now I'm recording this in August, so obviously I'm thinking about fall races for you guys. Maybe you're in the midst of training. Maybe you are just ramping it up. Maybe you're listening to this in January and you have a spring race on the horizon. Whatever it is, this is the best way to have a successful long run, feel good after your long run, not feel exhausted after your long run all the whole rest of the day, the whole rest of the weekend, no matter what day you do your long run on. And when I say long run, I mean really anything over 60 to 75 minutes. So let's say you have like a midweek longish run, seven, eight miles, use these tips for that too. But really we're mostly talking about those long runs that get into double digits, you know, anything above 10 miles or so. This is what we're going to be focusing on. And these are just some things that you can Mm -hmm. hopefully utilize for the rest of your training life and things that you can keep in the back of your head to know like, oh, I have that really big 20 miler coming up. Maybe it's my first one. Maybe it's my fifth 20 miler, whatever it is. Um, You can use these and know that, hey, I'm going to have a more successful long run if I start doing these things in the days leading up to it. So let's dive in. 
All right, number one, start hydrating two to three days before. Yes, you need to start hydrating well before your long run. Don't wait until the night before to start hydrating. One, because it won't be fully effective. If you chug a whole bunch of water the night before, like, oh my gosh, I haven't been drinking any water at all, you're more likely to just pee it out. Also, you'll be up all night peeing, which is not fun. So you need to start hydrating well before those long runs, especially long ones in the summer with the heat and the humidity. Let's first discuss the benefits of hydration before I give you what that actually should look like. Okay, benefits of hydration. Helps delay the onset of fatigue. Ooh, we need that for those long runs, right? Keeps body from overheating during exercise and heat exposure. Helps deliver nutrients to cells. Protects health and wellness by protecting against the effects of dehydration. It can aid in performance, which is great. Ingesting fluids in the hour before exercise can also help lower your core temperature and heart rates during exercise. So all wonderful things that you definitely need. Personally, if I'm on a long run and I feel sluggish, my legs feel dead, I'm always, the first thing I always think of is, did I hydrate enough before this? In the hour before this, in the two hours before this, in the days leading up to this? The answer is almost always no. So if you find that you're really, really on the struggle bus with these long runs, definitely take note of your hydration. It's important to note that your daily fluid needs are different as an athlete in training. Athletes likely need more than the recommended eight cups a day. Why is that? Well, as athletes, we have greater daily water losses from regular things like respiration, GI, renal, but mostly it's that sweat during those workouts. The average person may sweat one to two liters an hour, but again, this really depends on genetics, your environment, and your exercise conditions, and how conditioned you are as an athlete. When you sweat, fluid balance is regulated to stimulate thirst and reduce water and sodium excretion, which reduces the need to pee. When you sweat also, your blood volume is reduced and there's a higher concentration of sodium in the blood. We have hormones that will work to control this and aim for fluid balance in the body. Ingesting that adequate water and electrolyte beverage in foods and beverages throughout the day restores blood volume to normal levels. Unfortunately, and especially for active athletes, thirst is an imprecise method of determining if you are dehydrated because it can be difficult to ingest enough fluid to offset those large volumes of sweat losses we're having during exercise. I would not recommend relying on thirst as an indicator for several reasons. One, you're distracted. You're running. You're doing other things. You're maybe messing with your podcast that you're listening to or your music or whatever it is, and you're trying to figure out your route, and you're thinking about your pace and a million other things. So thirst signals may be missed or ignored. Two, physiology of the body. The body has to lose a lot of fluid before we even perceive taste. So do not rely on your thirst to determine if you are dehydrated. What counts for fluid needs? Water, fruit juices, sports drinks, unsweetened coffees and teas, fruits, vegetables, and soups. So you want to aim for at least half your body weight in pounds as a baseline, baseline. And then I would add at least at least 16 to 24 ounces on top of that. Check out episode eight. I know going way back here, but episode eight for more on how to hydrate for workouts. I would also recommend having at least one of those, you know, eight to 12 ounces that you're drinking be a form of electrolytes. So a noon tab or LMNT or the new scratch clear, something like that. Okay, number two, cut out most fibrous veggies the day and night before. We love fiber around here. It is wonderful you for you, but the day leading up to a long run is not the time to pile on the fiber. <laughs> Let's talk about what fiber actually is, though. 
Fiber is the non-digestible carbs in fruits, vegetables, grains, and legumes. It is incredibly important for our health, even though we can't actually digest it easily. Fiber feeds critical bacteria that live in our intestines, which contribute to nutrient metabolism and immune function. Fiber is also involved in lowering cholesterol and helps us have regular bowel movements. Fiber absorbs the waste from our body and carries it out as solid waste. So fiber is great for us, but not during runs. Why? When you load up on fiber pre-run, you can experience some not-so-fun symptoms like gas, bloating, diarrhea, and then feeling really full because, again, you can't digest that, so it's kind of sitting in there, which is great because it can keep you fuller longer, but not you don't necessarily want that when you're running. Also, fiber takes up water. It needs water to be digested and thus can leave you feeling heavy. So what should we do? The main thing is to not have big swings in the amount of fiber that you eat on a day-to-day basis. Try to stick to the same amount daily so you don't have major GI issues. You also want to scale back on fiber pre-run, preferably the day before a long run. So this isn't the time to have a huge salad for lunch and then broccoli for dinner. Instead, you want to consume fewer legumes like beans and lentils. Try to avoid those. This is the time to have more white things. I put white in quotes. You can't see me, but (laughs) I'm quoting (laughs) things like white pastas and bread as carbohydrate sources, since these contain less fiber than whole grain or whole wheat versions or things like brown rice. Try cooking your vegetables rather than eating them raw, because this kickstarts the breakdown of some of that fiber and makes them easier to digest. Again, remember to always eat a carbohydrate-rich meal in the one to three hours before a race. Save those fiber-heavy foods like oats, apples, and seeds for later afterwards. Okay, number three, wake up to eat at least one to two hours before. Okay, I I know it's not fun to wake up early and just wait around and do nothing, but it's so, so, so important to get some food in your stomach before you head out for a long run. And for the majority of people, this means they need time to digest so that they don't eat and run and then have major GI upset. This waking up early time is truly to have time to, to digest and to make that your body have that availability of that fuel. Here are some tips to make it easier. Wake up at the same time every day so your body gets used to it and it becomes a routine. Focus on the fact that you get this time solo or maybe with a group of friends if you have running buddies and you get the workout done and dusted to start off your weekend right. Something that really helps me wake up early is to not look at your phone. Save that for when you get up and maybe you're eating breakfast to scroll Instagram or look through Pinterest or look at your emails, whatever it is. Get a wake-up light. These wake us up more naturally. If you have a partner who doesn't mind, of course, that might wake them up too. So if that does bother them, consider sleeping in another room the night before your long run so you don't disturb them. There's a lot of really fun ones like the Hatch one that has come out that is a really good option. Eat your breakfast as soon as you wake up and then give yourself time to wake up and get ready for your run. This is a really great time to maybe do some mobility work. Maybe catch up on chores around the house, like unloading the dishwasher, or even just reading a book or something that makes you happy. Make it something fun and not work-related or something strenuous, something you normally don't get time for or carve out time for yourself to do. If you can, have an accountability buddy who will meet you when it's early. I swear this is the, the number one thing that helps me wake up early to train. Even if you don't live in the same area, you could always have a text buddy too. Okay, number four, have a carb-heavy breakfast one to two hours before. Okay, so you know you have to eat pre-run. Let's talk about what to eat. The ideal pre-run meal is generally 300 to 400 calories consumed around one to two hours before you run. You really want to have somewhere between 30 to 75 grams of carbs. 
So what does that actually look like? Oatmeal with one cup of berries, two pieces of toast with maybe a little bit of peanut butter and a banana on top, two waffles with syrup and a banana or berries on the side or on top of the waffle, whatever you prefer, a bagel, yogurt and granola. Um, But I would make sure that both of these yogurt and granolas are lower in protein and fats and fiber. Sweet potato with a small amount of butter and cinnamon. Maybe a muffin or two. I love the Rise and Run cookbook for muffin recipes. That's great. Or a slice of homemade bread like banana bread. Number five, have fluid before you head out. Again, we've already talked about this. This was the number one tip, right? Let's talk about what this looks like. Being adequately hydrated before exercise is going to help ensure optimal physiological and performance responses. Again, that lower core heart rate um, and that lower core temperature, those are super important. It's also super important to have fluid before you head out the door and not necessarily just in the days leading up to your workout like we discussed in number one. The hydration recommendations really vary based on who's giving them. It depends on like the American College of Sports Nutrition or Sports Medicine, National Athletic Trainers, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. So we recommend at least 12 to 24 ounces of fluid before going out or drink 5 to 10 milliliters per kilogram of body weight at least, you know, two to four hours before exercise. That's usually about 17 to 20 ounces or one ounce per 10 pound of body weight. The main recommendation is to begin exercise properly hydrated because it is so, so hard to catch up if you are already dehydrated. If you start that run already dehydrated, you're going to be in a deficit and it's going to be impossible to catch up. Ideally, you're also taking in electrolytes and water during exercise and you want to replenish them too. So again, if you can bring an LMNT packet or a noon tab before going out and then along with the water, that would be awesome. Number six, have a little bit of caffeine. We have a whole episode on caffeine. That's episode 66. So check out that episode for more details on caffeine and performance. The bottom line is that many studies have shown that caffeine may have ergogenic effects, meaning it may decrease pain, decrease perceived exertion, delay fatigue and pain, and improve mental sharpness. Caffeine can improve performance by as much as 5 to 10% over a placebo. That's a lot. And good news for your long run, the effects are more pronounced during longer activities. The main thing with caffeine and running is that you should find what works for you. Caffeine usually improves performance, and according to studies, one to two cups of coffee, which is around 200 milligrams of caffeine, is ideal on race day, depending on your weight and your tolerance. If you're someone who is prone to jitters, anxiety, or have GI issues after having caffeine, maybe that's not the best ideal for you. Also, remember that performance is not improved with greater doses of caffeine. The goal is to find the minimum dose of caffeine to ingest in order to achieve those desired positive responses. Even a dose as low as 1 to 3 milligrams per kilogram can be all that's required to take advantage of caffeine's ergogenic effects. To get the timing right, consider having caffeine an hour before you head out on the road or consume moderate amounts of caffeine with carbs during your run. You can also do a small amount of caffeine before you head out and then a small amount of caffeine during your run. That's usually what I do. Regular low doses of caffeine throughout a longer race can be just as beneficial as a single greater dose before the event. Again, the recommendation is no more than 200 milligrams for runs and really no more than 400 to 500 milligrams a day for the average adult. So consider that if you plan on having more caffeine after your run, you really have to kind of think about this and time it out. As with most things, caffeine should be tested in training, both before and during runs, to assess your response. It's better to err on the side of caution when considering the source, amount, and use of caffeine before and during training and racing. This is not something to try on race day. 
Number seven, always take water and fuel with you if you're going over 60 to 75 minutes. Okay, so again, we have a whole episode on this, episode 64, how to fuel long runs and rides, but obviously this really needs to be covered here too. When you're doing any kind of endurance activity, running, riding, swimming for long periods of time, the primary fuel your body relies on is glycogen. Glycogen is stored in the muscle and liver for easily accessible high-octane energy. Glycogen stores are depleted within a couple of hours, and this is very athlete-specific. The more trained you are, the more efficient you are at utilizing glucose. Without replenishment while running, glycogen stores are typically exhausted, usually within a couple of hours. If you want to run longer than that, you'll want to consume some kind of mid-run fuel to replenish your glycogen stores, stave off fatigue, and help activate fat burning for fuel. During prolonged exercise, blood glucose becomes an increasingly important fuel source as muscle glycogen stores decrease. How do you supply that blood glucose? You eat. So you need to eat during exercise in order to add glucose to your blood. The best source of fuel during workouts are carbs. Why? Carbs during exercise allow athletes to increase exercise capacity, improve performance, prevent hypoglycemia, which is low blood sugar, maintain the high rate of carbohydrate oxidation, which is your carbohydrate burning. Fueling guidelines. If you are going one, you know, 75 minutes to three hours, 30 to 60 grams of carbs is probably a really good per hour is a good guideline for you. If you are going over three hours, 30 to 90 grams of carbs per hour, again, is probably a good guideline. Again, this is super highly individualized. Prolonged activity may even require more fuel to maximize your performance. If you are newer to endurance exercise, I would not start at the 60 to 90 gram of carb levels. These levels are for well-trained athletes. If you are performing at a lower intensity or you're just starting, you'll likely have lower carbohydrate oxidation rates and really need to start lower or you might experience GI distress. So to summarize, if you want to run longer than 75 minutes, you'll want to consume some kind of fuel to replenish your glycogen stores. For hydration, the goal is again to replenish what you've lost but not exceed. This typically looks like these guidelines, 0.4 to 0.8 liters an hour, somewhere in the 8 to 16 ounces an hour of fluid. But again, it really depends on sweat rate. So yes, that does mean you need to carry a handheld bottle or a hydro pack for long runs to practice. Number eight, don't forget about electrolytes. Electrolytes were covered all the way back in episode 10. We have a whole whole thing on them. So if you have any questions about that, go listen to that and make sure that you're very well versed in that because electrolytes are just kind of the missing puzzle puzzle piece for a lot of athletes. What are electrolytes? They are minerals. The main ones in our sweat being sodium, calcium, potassium, magnesium, chlorine, and phosphate. Phosphate. They have an electric charge and exist in your blood, tissues, and body fluids and are excreted through urine and sweat. They help the body maintain normal fluid levels and fluid compartments because the amount of fluid in a compartment contains depend on the amount, so the concentration of electrolytes in it. When we sweat, we lose water and electrolytes, so replenishing them is crucial. We lose more sodium and chloride while sweating than other electrolytes, so these are the most crucial ones to replace. The ratio of sweat loss for sodium, potassium, calcium, and magnesium is 220, 63, 16, and eight. So we lose the most sodium and then potassium and then calcium and then magnesium. So let's talk about sodium. The amount of sodium excreted in sweat is large and depends on many factors like body mass, training level, your temperature, the humidity, clothing, gender, and how acclimated you are to that heat and humidity. Some athletes are also just salty sweaters. If your workout clothes or your hat and your skin have a white residue or streaks after training, it's likely you're a salty sweater and you lose more sodium than other athletes. Typically, those who are untrained in the beginning stages of heat acclimatization and men lose more sweat. 
The basic guideline that I always recommend people to start with is 200 to 400 milligrams an hour, and then slowly work your way up to 500 to 700 milligrams an hour. If you find you still have cramping, white streaks on your clothes and skin, you're not recovering well, your runs don't feel great, increasing the sodium intake is recommended. I do not recommend going over 1,500 milligrams unless you're an elite athlete or you're working with a sports dietitian. Okay, number nine, practice, practice, practice. Fueling, carrying water, carrying gels. In order to avoid GI issues, you must train your gut. Things like runner's trot, runner's stomach, runner diarrhea, oh, the worst. (laughs) An instant urge to poop during or right after you run. All of those things are not fun. And these are symptoms of runner's trots or runner's stomach. Other things like bloating, stomach cramps, diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, maybe even like chest pain and heartburn. These are things that you absolutely need to take care of before race day, before your 20-mile run, before any other kind of long run, so that you're not out in the road having to (laughs) figure out what leaf you're going to use to wipe your butt, okay? We need to train our gut. Some causes of, of this, if you are not training your gut, are that you're nervous, you're eating and drinking the wrong foods before your run, you're using the wrong fuel during your run, or dehydration. Also, when you're exercising, all of the blood from your gut goes towards your muscles, and it changes the GI motility, the absorption of nutrients, and the secretion of enzymes that aid in digestion, which means when you take in fuel, your gut doesn't know how to handle it. This causes malabsorption and causes a poor appetite, leading the athlete to not take in much-needed hydration or fuel. Digestion really loves to occur at rest when there is adequate blood flow to the gut, and that just does not happen when we are out for a run. New research, thankfully, has shown that the gut is highly adaptable and can accommodate changes in fuel through the gene expression induced by sugar consumption. It really doesn't take long for the gut to adapt either, usually about two to three weeks of adequate fueling to have improved GI tolerance. That is not a long time at all, and I would highly, highly recommend starting to train your gut in the beginning of your training season. Training your gut essentially means you get used to taking in hydration and fuel before and during your workouts. You train it to get used to working and or digesting when it has less blood flow. So you want to make sure that your gels and chews that you are starting to take ASAP have glucose and fructose, allowing for improved oxidation rates. Start small. Aim for 30 grams an hour if you're not used to fueling or you're using a new type of gel. Work your way up to about 60 to 90 grams over the course of a few weeks if you know that you're going to be over three hours for your marathon. Do not mix sports drinks with gels. Always take gels with water. And there is some new research contradicting this, but for now, I'm just going to stick with that. Avoid foods high in fiber, fat, and protein, both before and during exercise. And then on every run over 60 minutes, take that handheld with you. Get used to carrying it. You know, every 5-10 minutes, pass it to a different hand. Maybe you have a hydro pack that is like rubbing funny and you have to get used to that. These are things that you absolutely need to start now, even if you are not going to necessarily take that hydro pack with you. You want to make sure that you have enough fuel for that long run so you're not stranded with nothing and then you're not training your gut and you're not getting a good long run in. Okay, friends, I hope that this sets you up to have an amazing long run. I am so excited to hear how your training is going. Let us know on Instagram at Nail Your Nutrition. And if you have any requests for the upcoming fall race season, anything you want to hear about, let us know. You can reach us at nailyournutritioncourse1 at gmail.com or send us a DM at nailyournutrition. 
That wraps up today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review so others can find it more easily. You can also stay in touch with us by joining our Facebook group, Nutrition for Runners. If you have any requests for future episode topics and more, email us at nailyournutritioncourse1 at gmail.com. Happy fueling! That wraps up today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review so others can find it more easily. You can also stay in touch with us by joining our Facebook group, Nutrition for Runners. If you have any requests for future episode topics and more, email us at nailyournutritioncourse1 at gmail.com. Happy fueling! Happy fueling!